Welcome to episode 3344 of the Survival Podcast, and we are live. And I will have Brian Oleskovich on in just a minute from the Lots Project. And we're not really talking directly about the Lots Project today. We're actually going to talk about why Brian and his wife decided to pull up stakes from a 35-acre homestead, which for many of you would be a dream come true. But they had five years invested in and having 10 years invested in mine. I know five years is a big investment, a piece of land. They said the heck with it at some point, sold everything off, bought a giant RV and decided to live life as nomads, traveling around the country with, yeah, three St. Bernard dogs in a freaking RV. I don't know that I could do it, but it sounds like a great story. And I'll have Brian on in just a minute to tell you all about it. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is KnifeKits.com. I love knife kits for a variety of reasons. One, they make it so easy to build a knife that even someone like me can do it. You can pick up a kit. You can customize it if you need more information on how to do things. Books, DVDs, you name it, they've got it all. You can get Kydex and, and make holsters. There's like so much you can do with knife kits beyond just the knives. One great reason to love them. Two, they do a discount from MSB. So if they do a discount for my people, then I really love them. But I'll tell you why. Another reason, probably the biggest reason, do you know what you call more than 10 years as a sponsor in the podcast industry? You call it insane levels of loyalty. Actually, Knife Kits has been around longer than that. They were they were picked up the first year that I had sponsors. That was 2009. This is 2023, and they're still sponsoring the show. That says a lot. So if you're thinking about maybe doing something cool with your kiddos or finding a side hustle or a new hobby or project, Check out Knife Kits because you talk about loyalty, guys. Come on. How about the next sponsor, though, BulkAmmo.com? These guys have been around since uh, right about nine years. It was right after I moved here uh, to the place I'm at now in uh, near Fort Worth, Texas, that uh, they reached out. They've been, I mean, close to a decade, guys. That's loyalty as well. They have all the ammo that you could be looking for, and they have it in bulk. With shipping so fast, when it shows up, you'll be like, what's that? you like, just ordered this a couple days ago. It's like Amazon-level shipping, but... You know, bullets come in the mail instead of whatever Amazon crap you buy. So check them out today at BulkAmmo.com, and they also do a discount for members of the MSB. And with that, let's go ahead and bring our special guest on the Survival Podcast. Hey, Brian, man, how you doing today? Good, good. How's it going, Jack? It's good. It's good. You got any dogs hiding under the desk or anything? Um, Actually, they're not under the desk right now, but uh, unbelievably, one always wants to lay underneath my legs. Uh, 170 pound one is good for that. He likes to crawl underneath the desk and lay under there. He thinks he fits. Um, I think it's the thing where you get a St. Bernard puppy and it's so cute. You can't help but hold it on your lap or put it on your feet because they're full. And then they think they're a lap dog. They always see themselves as puppies forever. That's, that's one of the keys with like even animals that can be dangerous is never let them know that they're not that little animal that they were in the beginning. Um, shifting though, like let's start off with an intro for people that don't know you, um, before the RV, before the homestead, professional life, school life, whatever, what led you from whatever normal world, if you want to call it that normie world into the world of like homesteading and preparedness and all the stuff we talk about here in the first place. 
Um, well, you know, I grew up normal suburban life in Western New York, like Finger Lakes region and moved out to Minnesota for like 10 years and met my current wife. And we were sitting, we watched like, we watched Doomsday Preppers and all that stuff, but we were sitting in our suburban neighborhood and we were like first ring suburbs in Minneapolis. Um, so pretty close to the city. We were watching our neighborhood go kind of downhill. Uh, all the original owners were dying off and then, um, rental agencies were buying, landlords were buying, renting out to not the greatest renters. Um, so we were watching that happen around us around, uh, 2012 ish. And so we decided we wanted to make our um, ourselves more secure and whether that be producing our own food or security just by distance from what we saw going on, we decided to try to get out of the city. Um, I We looked for a year, I think it was almost a year before we found our 35 acre homestead about 90 miles north of Minneapolis. Uh, we bought it. It was a former farm, a former kind of like little homestead, the original homestead in that town, actually. And um, man, I commuted for like five years, three years, I think three years, 90 miles down to the city and built the farm, uh, rebuilt the farm, restarted it. Uh, it was for security. It was for food security and distance security, really, to answer your question. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said in my intro, Five years is a lot of investment in a piece of land. And five years of land investment usually is also five years of monetary investment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so you, you, you have a lot into a place, and 35 acres in that part of the world is pretty beautiful. What made yeah. you decide, like, to give it all up? Because, I mean, there are people in this audience that are working their ass off to get to there. That's their dream. Yeah, well, it was it was my dream. Um, we when we bought, it, we had a five year plan. Uh, our five year plan was to bust our ass as hard as we possibly could for five years while we worked our jobs and try to find one of the um, one of the magic uh, things that makes us some revenue up there, makes it easier to find a job close because it was that double edged sword. Finding the property we could afford was limiting our um, income potential in person. And I was a hard skill guy. I'm like a service tech. Uh, I was uh, working in the cities as uh, running a factory, uh, running machines and stuff, and then doing service maintenance work. So I wasn't doing online work. So we commuted, we built the farm, we did everything up to five years. And then we decided, you know, this was the tipping point. Either we were gonna scale it back and do it as a hobby farm and produce our own and work jobs and figure it out that way, or we were gonna go balls out on one of these things that we had ramped up. And we did poultry, we did everything short of pigs and cows, really. Sure. Uh, microgreens, comfrey. I still actually sell comfrey. I figured out how to do that when we left. But um, I was out in a field doing uh, chores one day uh, with um, 10 pasture-raised turkeys uh, out in our field, way out in the back of our field. We were pasture-raising turkeys in um, John Siskovich, turkey tractors. Uh, so I started out with 10. There was plenty of room. By the time November came, it was pretty tight in there. Like that was the plan. Yeah. And, um, so I was doing chores one day and I had them way out in the field. And I was like looking at the weather forecast. And I was like, oh shit, it's going to get cold for a couple days. And this is in the middle of October. And overnight we got, it was like 12 or 14 inches of fucking snow, man. Oh, I'm sorry about that. But, no, you get uh, that here. We, we embraced the full color 
of the English <laughs> language at TSU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was like 12 inches. I don't know. It was more than, like, you don't notice snow in Minnesota. You get six inches. It's like whatever. But, yeah. you know, you go. And it was more than enough, and especially yeah. in October. And I went out, and I stood in the field the next day, and I was like, I can't move this tractor. Oh, I got these almost full-grown turkeys that I'd had since July. I'd moved my by hand at least once, probably twice a day since July, and I can't move them. Uh, and they're going to shit everywhere. And so I'm I'm doing contingency planning in my head. I'm taking, like, pine chips out there. I can't move them. Uh, even when the snow melted a couple days later, I couldn't move them because it was just a mud hole. Yeah. Uh, couldn't drive out to do chores on the four-wheeler. I had to walk out to the back of, like, a 10-acre field through eight inches of slush. Uh, and I said, this is it. Like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I I am so done with Minnesota weather. I had been there for 20 years. Um, I worked outside at that time. I was a service tech for, um, for a gas pump. So we got called out to fix shit in the worst of the worst conditions. Like, yeah. that's when it breaks. And you work outside in it, then come home and do the chores. And I just, I, I had a moment where I was like, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. And so I broke down and I walked inside and I was talking to my wife and I was like, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what we're going to do here. And she says, yeah, me too. I don't think I really like it in Minnesota. This winter shit. And uh, I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> because we had really planned everything. She was originally from here and all her family yeah. was here. And we really, we really had planned on staying around family. And I think over that time, we realized that we were just going to do it. And, and we had to make ourselves happy. After we moved up there, I, I started listening to you actually on my commutes. And um, it was shortly before we made that decision that you were talking about, you know, really evaluating your life um, and doing and, and if you can build your life, you should do it right. Yeah. And so we decided, you know, we're going we're gonna to be ch making wholesale changes. Let's really do it. Let's let's make a change. Move move out of Minnesota and uh, figure it out. So that that was um, that would have been in October of 2019, uh, right before, you know, all that shit went sideways. Yeah. We decided we were leaving and we said, OK, well, where are we going to go? And we hadn't really been anywhere other than like Colorado on vacation and uh, back and this and that. And so we started looking at USDA zone maps and shit. We're like, well, we don't want to be in eight, nine or 10. That's too hot. And we know we don't want to be in three A or three B or whatever the hell we yeah. were in, in that frozen. So we were like shooting for that six, seven. And so we were following the map around. We're like, oh, we should go to Idaho. And if we're going to do this, like we went from suburbs to farm. We had seven deep freezers full of meat. We didn't have to do any of the COVID grocery shopping and that. Yeah. Like, we were outside the systems of the norm. Uh, we decided we were going to do it off grid. We were going to start it from scratch on raw land. We were going to build something and do it our way because mm -hmm. our farm had so many type one errors that made it really hard um, on top of Minnesota. It was just like a bad bad juju um so we decided we we're gonna go out there and just start this so we started planning we're like okay zone seven banana belt we're gonna do it and one day we looked at each other we're like why idaho <laughs> and neither of us either have been there we never we just looked at pictures online uh we had decided we were gonna build a yurt and all this in idaho and we were gonna outfit a, a rv to live in while we built the yurt and it was gonna be great and then we realized we didn't know why we were going there. 
And we put two and two together. And since we were going to build this RV to be boondocking, yeah. why not drive it around and figure out where we really want to be? Um, and so that's kind of how the plan came into action and uh, how we decided to leave. I, I can certainly commiserate with having certain parts of the year that you, you question why you're in a place <laughs> like this. Yeah. This, is, this is my 10-day forecast. And for, <laughs> for those on the audio, I'm reading you the highs starting tomorrow. 103, 102, 104, 104, 106, 106, 105. 105, 106, 105, 103, 103, 103, 103, <laughs> right? And when I, Dorothy and I do look at each other sometimes and go, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. Like, we can literally live anywhere. And we have family kind of like you do, but we're like homeschooling our grandkids and all. And like, and, and then I also have to remember there's nine other months of the year where this is a great place to live. But I, I definitely get having certain seasonality going, what the hell? That was, that was the problem with Minnesota, though. We dealt with the 90s and 95% humidity. We dealt with hummingbird-sized mosquitoes yeah. uh, for any time that it was bearable to be outside, whether it was above freezing or below 90 and humid. There were, yeah. like, huge mosquitoes and ticks, and it was yeah. just like, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. it was the worst. I don't. I mean, people do it there. People, people uh, thrive there. Not me anymore. Like it's just too hard. And when we looked at Zone Seven, it's actually ninety days longer average growing season a year. Yeah. So three months. And I'm trying to build a life where I don't need anybody. I, I mean, obviously, some we you talk about it all the time. Like I always understand that I'm never going to be fully on my own but if i'm going to produce the majority of my food and i have an extra three months a year to do it it's a hell of a lot easier yeah. uh, we built all this farm stuff in from you know june to june to september really and it's it's insane yeah so i i get why you then chose an rv as like um call it a probing mission to see what's going on but it seems like you guys have kind of locked into this thing like this is what we do now. How, how, like. uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. We we kind of um, we did a lot of research. We we are research junkies. My wife and I both uh, before we bought the farm, I was researching for over a year. And that's that's the five year plan we did was all the stuff I figured out along the way. We researched tons of full time RVers and how to do it, what methods to use, uh, what the best things are, what to look for in RV, the mistakes people made. And we kind of launched off and didn't really have a plan. Um, when we took off, we were like going to go wander around. And it was like we, we both dedicated a year that we weren't going to really make any commitments for a year. And then we kind of realized that it might not make the most sense. Um, and so Josh, uh, the renegade butcher, you've had him on, I think he's on the expert council, uh, kind of hooked up with him and he needed some help over the winter. And so we made a destination and we went down and met some community, helped him. And now we're kind of building that network, driving around. Um, but yeah, we're kind of in it to be mobile. We really like being mobile after doing it. Yeah. I, we've kicked around the idea of having just a piece of land somewhere else in a big RV. Yeah. Right. And then mainly living here in just certain parts of the year, just say, screw this. 
Well, and that's, that's our goal, uh, like our current plan. Like, so right now we're on the, the tail end of a trip that we took to go get our South Dakota residencies as, um, as nomads, as non, non living their residents. Um, okay. and it just, it's a great place to do it. And I'm, I'm going to be doing some documentation of that process. So how's that work? work? You, you basically have a state affiliation as a, a resident. Yeah, I have, really I have a mailing address there. I have a personal mailbox at a campground okay. there. And then I can get a non-resident affidavit um, to get like my driver's license and uh, mailing address and things. And then I have a mail forwarding service through them to anywhere I want. So I have like online access to my mailbox, but um so we're on the tail end of that trip and we're kind of scoping out our next six months, what we're really planning on doing. And we've come to the conclusion we want to buy a property. Um, as preppers, um, it was really hard to not have anything. And mm-hmm. we're focusing right now on that shit goes sideways property. Um, we're kind of focusing on Tennessee. It's someplace that it's efficient to try to survive the winter and the summer. Um, mm-hmm. If we had to like go there with nothing or in our pickup truck and had to figure it out, Tennessee is pro- is a good place to to figure that out on a minimalist energy consumption. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of want to buy that first property and then start buying them where we want to go. And like you said, maybe not all year round, but maybe something in the mountains when it's hot and something down in Texas when it's cold and buying one to two acre properties and then renting them out as campgrounds when we're not there. Like the hip camp thing or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We have, we do out. that. We, we have over uh, 200 nights on hip camp right now as, mm. uh, as guest as hosts or as guests. And then That's we also cool. ran one on our farm. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, what kind of RV did you go with? There's a lot of options there. I know it's 32 foot, but I don't know if it's a fifth wheel, if it's a, a class A yep. or like, you know, what, what do we got? We ended up settling on a pull behind travel trailer. Uh, we ended up doing um, a 32 foot, like I said, because of the dogs, we wanted as much room as we could. And the longest one, um, kind of the most space we were going from 35 acres and a 2000 square foot or 1800 square foot farmhouse and outbuildings to an RV. Um, you know, after this amount of time, it's too big for us really. Um, but we went uh, pull behind trailer and then that left us the bed of the truck uh, for storage for all of our belongings and things. And then also a secondary, like we can drop the trailer. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the class A's we see them pull in and, you know, you can't go anywhere unless you take the whole thing. The whole damn you. thing. Yeah. And, yeah. And the fifth wheel um, takes your bed away of the truck. Yep. And yep. We kind of contingency plan to where we have we're set up that if something happened to our truck, uh, we are able to stay in the in the camper. We have a, all the set of everything we need at the camper. And then if something happens to the camper, we also have tents and, um, you know, cooking supplies and stoves in the truck and yeah. a way to stay in the truck for shelter. So we kind of we like that detached model of the travel. Good hedge, Good hedge on that. Does the trailer got pop outs? Yes, it's got two wow. two pop outs. Okay, cool. Because I, when I had my RV, like that made everything more bearable. You'd walk into it after you got it leveled and all, and go, "This is so." And then, oh yeah, let me push this button and like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, I think if you keep it that way and you're going in and out of it for a while, you kind of take it for granted. But when you close it up and you look at it, you oh, go, yeah. "Oh, 
So that's what that extra four foot does. It's a lot. It's a big. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. We actually just uh, on our trip uh, met up with Corey's parents, my wife's parents, and um, they stayed with us and they have a smaller, I think there's a 17 foot with no slide outs. And so to see them next to each other and be in them and feel the difference in space, um, I think we really want to land somewhere in between. We're really limited with the size of our rig where we can get and, um, get comfortably and we've we've been some places we probably shouldn't with it we yeah. really put the limits for sure we had a and i don't really recommend one of these for long-term living but for camping they were great it was 22 foot yeah. and then the beds actually dropped down it was called a hybrid and we had the slide outs on it and so yeah. we had other than the bedrooms we had the floor space of uh, a, a rv about your size because the beds folded up and they were like on aircraft uh, cabling yep. and it was yep. like a, a tent around it. I wouldn't want to be staying in there in the super heat of the summer or the freezing temperatures of winter, which is bad in an RV anyway. Um, yeah. But for the time of year we camped, it was much easier to maneuver. And I still hated it. I still <laughs> hated it. I hated towing it. I told my wife, she's like, well, we did have some fun welding and you can rent one. And it will be sitting there when we pull up to it, and we will leave it there when we go because I want it drives, right? And I did, like, one trip up to Tennessee, and I'm like, you get on a – like, you know when they do the construction shit where they take away the shoulders and you're in one lane? Or it's two lanes with no shoulders, and some guy in a semi decides, yeah, I'm going to pull up next to him like I'm the bathroom and not. I'm going to stay, you know, absolutely a, like like Star Trek, match course and speed for the next seven miles, Oh, yeah. Nowhere for you to go. I just hated it. I hated it. And I got one eye. So backing <laughs> up with side mirrors, I'm not good at that. Um, so My I love drive. Idea, but it's it, it, the, the, li- the, the living part isn't bad. It's moving the damn thing across the country. Yeah. My uh, my wife drives, actually. Uh, she's got, like, rider's anxiety type of okay. thing. And I like to just work and do other shit while we're traveling. And so she drives and she had pulled like snowmobile trailers and stuff like that in, in uh, Minnesota or like getting farm farm feed and stuff, but small trailers. She had never pulled an RV. Um, and we kind of we actually didn't buy a truck first. We bought a truck second so we could buy the right truck. Uh, and Which is a good family. idea, by the way. That's that's worth tuning in for right there, folks, because uh, yeah, I had a yeah, half, ton do- half ton Dodge when I bought the little one I had. But because of the way it was designed, it was so squared off because of how it closed up. Like, you'd feel it decelerate going downhill because there was so much wind resistance. I ended up buying an F-350 for other reasons. But that pulled it like it wasn't there. Yeah. And so you really do want to size the truck to the RV if you have the luxury. Yeah, we had a we had a um, a family member that had just got back from living a year on the road, pull our trailer home and park it in the driveway because we we knew when we bought it we were going to change it completely. Um, mm. It was already in the plans. Like we couldn't. Things are set up for people to go camping, not live in it full time. So we we decided to buy an older RV that we didn't feel bad tearing stuff out of, and it left us room in our budget to kind of put what we wanted into it. Um, but the first time she really towed an RV was after we retrofitted it to go get it weighed uh, to make sure we weren't overweight. And then about two weeks later, drove it to Washington State out to see uh, Brian Norton at Squatch Fest was uh, our first trip. And she took it on some scenic view roads out in Montana with oh. a six inch 
uh, shoulder and an 80 foot drop off. And it was like 40 mile an hour winds. She's like, I don't know if I could do this. No. I don't know. I was like, well, you have to do it. She said, you know what it reminded me of is when you played uh, Mario Kart and the Rainbow Road. Like <laughs> you're going over these hills and you don't know if you're going to be able to keep it on the road and there's yeah. no guardrail. <laughs> yeah, we were just in Mendocino, California area for a week early this year. And I was in car. And I, there were some of those roads I didn't like being on. I can't even imagine towing an RV on them. That yeah. trip we took to Tennessee with our RV, we were on a road at one point, but there's just no way two people could pass each other. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, if I come along anybody, you're the one going backwards. I, I ain't oh, trying yeah. to back this up. It ain't happening. Um, yeah. And I was just my, then my horror was it'd be two big trucks coming at each other, both with an RV. And I was still going to be like, you're the one going backwards. Do you have two eyes? Yeah. You're the one like I'm pumping <laughs> all with my one eye. I'm, but, I'm pulling the I'm pulling the blind card. <laughs> you mentioned um, that you knew you were going to make changes. What kind of changes did you make to the the RV? <laughs> oh man, we uh, we got it home and we pretty much tore everything out of the inside except the kitchen. Um, except well, everything in the kitchen is is there except the microwave. Uh, we pulled the microwave out. We didn't even have a microwave at our farm. Uh, we were pretty not, we were already on our way to being not, um, not energy consuming. Mm -hmm. And so we pulled the TV out, we pulled the, the microwave out, and then we pulled out, like, we had a bunkhouse in it. So we kind of gutted the whole back quarters of the RV. Um, we took out the toilet. We put in a composting toilet instead of using the black water and combined our gray and black water tanks so we can hold a lot more gray water. Uh, we don't have the mess of the sewage. Um, we took out all the electrical um, cabinet, but left the electrical and designed and installed solar and a big battery bank. I think we had like 300 amp hours battery um, and, a, and a kind of a built a new electrical panel with um, a bunch of upgrades than what they had, but then used the the, the house electric for what was already here. Uh, we installed a little wood stove uh, for those. You know, we didn't want to be in freezing, but as you know, in Texas, it um, it gets cold and uh, you kind of want a way to heat. And we really didn't like um, the propane heat in the in the camper. So we got a tiny little wood stove. I installed that. We used that over the winter and it worked great. Um, let's see what else. Uh, yeah, we installed internet. I, I didn't know, like we all want, we needed to work remote. Um, mm -hmm. And so my wife is uh, lucky enough to work remote from her job. And so we needed internet. And um, at that time when we were designing the trailer, Starlink really wasn't an option re uh, remotely. Uh, it was like fixed locations. Uh, so we looked into it and I put in a cellular router, internet and a Wi-Fi system in the in the trailer. And uh, now we use Starlink because it's just 100 okay. percent better. And uh, they do have an RV package that you can get that uh, you can move around with and all that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what we did. We we changed the layout. We bought kind of Ikea furniture and uh, did a lot of research into what people used and uh, found the stuff that worked for us and put it in. I have noticed that looking at a lot of people that have gone to the RV lifestyle that like RVs are equipped well, but they're equipped on kind of a mindset of industrialized, commoditized, and for people to live in for, you know, a long weekend or a week. 
that yep. unless you go into like the half million dollar motor coaches, they're really not designed for somebody to really live in. You know, they you buy a, a used one and you clean it up a little bit and you throw it on your deer lease. It'd be about the longest term most people use them. And so the people that do it, they kind of retrofit everything. And because of that, they tend not to buy new ones. They tend to buy used ones at a discount. Otherwise, you're spending money on all this brand new shit. You're going to, you know, rip out of it. We um, just looked at new Airstreams uh, yeah. as we, while we were camping with in-laws, like 180 grand. Well, I'm not going to buy a new Airstream for 180 grand and then rip it out and redo it. <laughs> They're insane how much those are. You want to look at, you know, really insane. Look at the price of, like, a 1960s fully restored one. Those oh, are yeah. like, you might as well go out and buy a 67 bed or something like, um, yeah, 180 grand for an RV. I can buy a house with well, right. land. For yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, you know. Yeah, we were all in. So I think all in uh, with the upgrades and the RV, we were under 40 grand, I think. Okay. That's- uh, I think we were 18 or 13 on the RV, 14 on the RV. We bought like a 2014 old and like it was six seven years yeah. old already but yeah. we knew we were gutting it and yeah. um then we put 20 grand into it i think for all the everything okay so that puts you at about 34 actually so yeah that's oh yeah 34 yeah so yeah that that's not bad at all um, but we also had built a farm and we were we were yeah. selling a farm and it was kind of it was kind of we were able to capture a lot of um equity in the swing to kind of finance mm-hmm. what what we did uh, buying in twenty late twenty fourteen and selling in um, twenty twenty two was you know just just by default we made money plus we made improvements so see and it'd be the only way that like we could do an effective equity harvest here it'd be to move to a decidedly less expensive place or to do something like y'all did. I can make more money selling this house without shit. Like there are companies that just go out and go, we'll just pay you without it. Get out, like leave whatever you want. We'll take care of it. Even doing it that way. I can make more money on this place right now than I paid for it. Oh yeah. But what can I do with it? Go buy another place, you know, locally, just like it and pay more for it because the interest rates double. It's like 2.15 higher. I don't mean points. I mean, times, my yeah. interest rate, you know, but if you're doing it with an RV, then you can pour that equity. Or if you're doing the complete geographic arbitrage thing, I mean, there's places still where you can buy a nice piece of land and a decent house for 200, 250. Um, well, I'm loving, I'm loving looking at like two acre properties with a condemned house on it. Yeah. And all I want is the septic dump. And the and the electrical hookup. Yeah, yeah. And so if you got water, then you just you got everything. Like, oh yeah, cool. I got a well. Yeah, <laughs> right. you could get it. You rent a bulldozer for a day, right. push everything off the, the the foundation. There's your pad. You know, <laughs> or even leave the house there and build the campground out back, so nobody thinks yeah. there's anything nice there. That would be another way to do it. Yeah, I've always thought if I was going to long term an RV, though, I would want to put a uh, hard metal cover over it like i've seen in some of the rv parks yep. where you you're shaded from the sun uh, yeah so we 
eventually we're already looking at, at other at the next round of RVs because we're going to do the same thing where we buy one that's older, probably tear it out. So mm-hmm. we're looking right now at what's coming out to see what we will be looking at when we go to buy one. Um, okay. And when we buy a new one, we will put this somewhere and I installed everything so it could be taken out. So if, um, you know, the wheels fall off this, I can take my solar system, my toilet, my wood stove and all the components and go build a shack or get a tough shed and install that and be completely livable. We actually lost a lot of functionality in the mobile versions of our inverter that we bought or charge controller inverter that we bought because we didn't buy a mobile version. Mm-hmm. I bought one to eventually be set put somewhere. I've gained this out of my head, and I felt like if I do it, it'd be very close to what you're talking about. I have tough shed tiny houses on each property. Yeah. So that when you pull in, you have that additional space and what have you. And uh, We have um, – so the property we're actually at right now uh, has two cabins on it. So they have four RV sites uh, with hookups. So they got electric water, and they have a sewer dump on site. But she's buying tough sheds and putting them up as cabin rentals, too. And they're right in the Ozark Mountains, right by one of the state parks uh, with a a river rafting thing down the road. She actually runs shuttles for it. And so she rents out the cabins. They have air conditioning. It's it's hot as shit. Like, if I didn't have my air conditioning, I wouldn't really want to be here right now. Um, But she's got the RV site. She's building herself a little campground. And I'm traveling around to these sites, seeing these people and gaining their experience and then helping other people do it is uh, is really cool. So... um how did you know you were sure you wanted to do this? Like, cause it sounds like you have transitioned from exploratory to this. <laughs> now, like, so what I'm getting at is when you, when you pulled out of your place and somebody else took it over and you had your RV, it doesn't sound like the plan was, this is what we're doing permanently. It was more like, we're going to go figure out where we want to live somewhere in that. You had to look at each other and go, this is the bomb. How did that how did that come about? Well, yeah, I mean, so we we had a plan. We had an exit plan. We had a purchase offer on our house. We had made two test runs in the RV. We had outfitted it. It took um, so it took us a year to get our RV from the time we decided to do it. It took us another year to um, a year to retrofit it and get everything installed and kind of plan game things out for a trip. We took a one, a one, a two week trip to Washington. We took a two week trip to SRF, um, fall and spring. And then we had an offer on our house for, um, right around close, right around Labor Day. And okay. SRF fall was shortly after that. Okay. Uh, we said, what a great way to launch, uh, our journey sure. is to sell the house, take off, hang around Minnesota, say our goodbyes go over to South Dakota, get our residency because we no longer own property uh, and then shoot down to SRF and have a good time. Awesome. And then just figure it out from there. So, okay, let's get to that point. So you're at SRF. You have a great time. No, no, no. It didn't happen like that, man. Oh, no, (laughs) it didn't end up happening. No. Well, we got three days before our, uh, our close and everything fell through. And I was ready to um, I was ready to uh, quit my job. Everything was like in the works uh, and the, the sale fell through. We got to a point where we knew we were going and decided, OK, we're not spending another winter in Minnesota. 
and we just left. We were working on a sale. We didn't have anything finalized. We were selling it that as is thing. We had so much shit, both valuable and invaluable that we couldn't take with us. It would have taken a hundred years to sell it all. So we listed our house as is, where is, take it, leave it, throw it away. I don't give a shit. It's yours. Um, and so we got to that point where we're like, we're just going to leave. My realtor was a guy that took care of, um, took care of cabins, sold cabins and, and lake properties in Minnesota. So he knew a lot of companies that winterized places and shit like yeah. that. And we said, we're not spending a winter in Minnesota. And we left. We just went down to SRF. Um, yeah. I told the realtor, man, if this, if this sale falls through, um, call the guys, have the shit winterized. We'll deal with it in the spring. Yeah. Um, and the sale went through after okay. SRF. We like sat down and it, it finally went through. We were down in Texas with helping Josh when all the paperwork went through. And, um, man, that first day I took a walk with the dogs and I was like, I got fucking nowhere to go. That's where we're going. So, like, once this is all done and you're like, we did it. Well, scared shitless, man. Scared shitless. I was literally walking the dogs. I did a TikTok about it. I was walking the dogs on this awesome trail. Uh, We had transitioned to barefoot life, man. We were all in. And we we signed the closing paperwork. Uh, We sent it in. And the next morning, I, I checked the bank account before the dogs walks. And the check cleared. And I was on that walk and I went, oh, like I got nothing, like yeah. nothing. Like my whole life I've had apartments, then house, 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 house. Yeah. I got nothing. I got nowhere to go. I got nowhere to go back to. Um, both equally and exhilarating and equally scared shitless. Um, you get the money because the check cleared so you can pick well, finance. Well, that was the thing. That was the, yeah. the buying, the financing of exploring. And yeah. buying the financing of building my own thing. Um, my wife is so generous and uh, re- remembers the fact I never like made her work five days a week. I always worked overtime, all that, uh, while we were ever since we'd met. And she had the opportunity to work full re- remote. And with the money we were, we were profiting from the, the business, she said, take some time and do your thing and see what you can do. Um, she, she knew I wanted that opportunity and she gave it to me as like probably one of the best gifts I've could have ever gotten. So that was, that was the moment that, uh, that all kicked off. I mean, I've been doing it before that, but really realizing you didn't have anywhere to go. Um, we did start to miss having that. Uh, yeah. we did start to really realize that being preppers, it was all great and fine thinking about it, romanticizing about it. But we wanted something that was ours just in case. Um, yeah, the old, the old thing is shit just got real, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we really started formulating a plan to figure out where we wanted to buy that first property or acquire it, uh, however we got it. Um, and that was uh, kind of the formulating of what, what are we looking for in that property number one. Uh, because there's going to be more like we we have no doubt that we want more than one small parcel. But that one first one has to work right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where are you kind of at with it right now? Like you're just no. Uh, are you hanging well, out with other people in the community? And, and, and yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, we spent 
we spent four months down in Texas near Josh, uh, helping him out. He needs, uh, he needs a little hired help during the winter, uh, not real skilled or anything. And I was like, yeah, Man, what a perfect opportunity to cut deer up and learn a little bit. Uh, I ran a vacuum sealer for like four months. It was, it was okay. exhilarating. <laughs> uh, no, I learned a ton from Josh. Um, and then Tim, Toolman Tim actually bought a piece of property down here or down in Tennessee. I'm not there right now, but, um, I started talking with him and said, Hey man, I'd like a shot at maybe, uh, putting some stuff in, maybe a campsite or two at your place, uh, maybe organize some workshops or some things, uh, through actually TSP community. I found a really, um, a really nice affordable place to plug in close to Tim's property. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're kind of hanging out there. We had targeted Tennessee all along for possibly moving to, uh, so we might winter there and do a lot of work on Tim's property over the winter uh, and uh, see what goes about there and really experience and see if that's where we want to be. Because that was one of the, the goals when we took off was before we buy a property, we want to experience the extremes and make sure it's it's not Minnesota or yeah. Texas in that fact. You can get an Arctic blast into Tennessee. It happens. I've been. Oh there. yeah. Oh for sure. And, well, and you mentioned zone seven. There's a lot of zone seven in Tennessee. Yeah, and that's uh, that's one of the things that's great is is talking to the locals there. Um, I bartended for a decade. Like I I talk to people. That's just yeah. what I do. Short bursts and and, and great conversations. Uh, but I start getting to know the gas station people because that's what I did for five years before we took off. Uh, I know how to talk to a gas station owner like the guy that's working on his shit, not the customer that's like, hey, yeah. where's the Route 61? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so getting to know them, gas station owners in small towns know everybody. Um, yeah. They know the weather because they have to keep track of it for their gas station. Uh, you know, getting to know the post office people, they know everybody. Um, getting introduced and, and just learning the area and asking them, okay, what's the coldest you remember? Like, Things like that stick out to people. Um, yeah. And when they say, I don't remember the last time we had snow on the ground for more than three or four days before it melted, I'm in, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to get, we used to get snow, like I said, October would melt off, but like legit, there were years that we got snow uh, mid November and didn't see grass until May. No, I, I can't do that. I remember. Days, I gotcha. <laughs> Even down here, I remember one year we got 11 inches of wet snow. And it, I don't remember exactly when, but it was before Thanksgiving that year. Oh, yeah. Which is yeah. insane. But two days later, we were playing football with the kids in T-shirts. So even though it came, it went away. You know, and the worst thing we've had was three years ago with the, everybody called it the big ice storm. There was It was not an ice storm. It just got really freaking cold and a little bit of ice. We we uh, went through that winter this year. Uh, we were over in in Navasota, so we had yeah. the one cold snap, and yeah. people were freaking out. Uh, obviously, we were in a travel trailer, so we had to drain all our water and shit because um, we didn't really have a way to keep it warm. So we went out of buckets. It wasn't a big deal to us, but uh, everybody freaking out, and then it was like below zero for one day. Oh, I'm no. like. Oh, but I did assimilate very fast because uh, early in the fall or late in the fall, we were walking on the trail and it was sunny out and we walked into the shade and I was like, oh man, I got to put my hood up on my hoodie. <laughs> I it, it was like 60. 
Yeah. And, uh, and Corey yeah. looked at me, she's like, you do know it's 60. I was like, yeah. And you know, last year I wore a hoodie until negative 15 at work. That's what I wore was like a thermal and a hoodie down to negative 15. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I remember as a kid hunting deer and getting up in the morning and, and looking at the thermometer and it was like, you know, eight below zero and thinking, oh, hey, ain't that bad. The sun will come up a few hours after I'm in the stand. I have no tolerance for that crap at all anymore after living down here as long as I did, did you know, I, when we did get that cold front and we had, we were below freezing for nine consecutive days uh, for the highs, which is just, that's, and that's why I would never tell anybody, don't worry about it because, or I would tell people, don't worry about it because it's, it's a hundred year event. Like you can't base your lifetime decisions on that kind of arbitrary thing. But then we had like almost, I think it was six or seven days where the high temperature was uh, below two digits. All right. That's why people down here were freaking out. Like they had never seen anything. People, there's people live here never left. They had never seen it. was like the end of the earth. And then nothing's winterized like it is up north. So right. when, when, the, when the heat, when it, when it came back, the temperature came back and everything thawed out, there were apartments that were completely wrecked from flooding from busted pipes and stuff. It was a nightmare. But you can't. Well, you can't make a decision on that extreme. If it, you, you know your right. regular winters, your regular summers, it's more typical. Well, you you were you were from um, that same kind of temperate zone that I was over in Western New York. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I grew up in. First twenty four years of my life. Then I moved to Minnesota, and um, the first winter I was there, there was li- there was consecutive thirty days that the high temperature didn't get above zero degrees. And I was like, where did I move? Like our temperatures in New York, you got some like teens, but you know, you got some snow, but the sun came out the next day and it was like 40. And uh, you know, like, oh man, the teens, it didn't get above zero. I was like, I've always been fascinated by like the number of Scandinavian uh, immigrants that settled there. And I mean, hundreds of years ago, and they're still there. Like, you live in this place with these fjords, and it's freezing cold, and it's the, the, the winter, it's barely light out. And, like, you move to a whole new continent. Let's do the same thing all over again, except on a lake instead of an ocean. Like, okay. Explain <laughs> this to me, though. Yeah. So when the, the whole Som- Somalian refugee crisis happened, yeah, there is a huge influx they moved a bunch of them to minnesota yeah and i'm like how could you pick a most polar opposite climate (laughs) and i see these people they would move and i like i worked with a lot of them in the gas and they'd be in like their sandals and it would be negative 20 and i'm like you did not equip these people to make them realize what this means no i think dearborn is like one of the highest populations of, of muslim and african immigrants in the united states um, yeah, that's the total opposite, right? Like, you know, and they probably like, this is great until like, you know, October. Yeah, anyway. No, no, no. <laughs> um, do you have like, like, do you have anything staged out? Like, store, are you using storage lockers to move around or anything like that to keep some stuff, you know? No, out? man. We, we went, um, we went whole hog into the nomadic lifestyle we pared down over a year really um really went through everything we owned that we thought we might want to keep and evaluated it and made sure it fit in the camper made sure it fit in the truck 
Um, and we have everything we own with us. And uh, it's kind of it's kind of nice. We actually after we after we moved for a couple months and then sat down, we really reevaluated and got rid of stuff. And we're getting rid of more stuff as we go. Uh, stuff that, you know, the prepper wants everything. And yeah. then you actually realize that, you know, if I'm using this, I'll, I'll have other resources to get what I don't need this. Like, I'll be yeah. able to find this. I'll be able to acquire it again. Um, and really understanding that and moving it around really gets you to throw shit away. Yeah. Yeah. When we moved here from Arkansas, we had no idea what we had done to ourselves until we moved because we had two two places. And then we combined the one from Texas into Arkansas. And so we did that, you know, that was all like a lot of it was already there. And then we added to it. And when we moved here, I was like, if I ever do this again, what I can't give away or sell, I'm going to set on fire. Like, I mean, there's a point where you're like, I don't like you said, I don't need all this. And uh, I'm really trying hard not to add stuff at this point into my life and 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 simplify somewhat. I guess our biggest like. Uh, space take, I don't really space taker, but energy taker is we store a lot of meat. Yeah. So I've got like three, five refrigerator freezers, you know, and, but you know, we're not going to run out of meat either. That's, that's the other side. That, that was, that was one of the scariest things doing this was giving up the food security. Uh, when, when COVID hit and all that, we had your vertical garden in our kitchen. I yeah. had actually built um, two full, full racks like the ones in your vertical garden with the um, the microgreens mm-hmm. and was actually running a small microgreen business with hydroponic microgreens based okay. off that kind of that flow ebb and flow system. Yeah, uh, we had yeah the, the freezers full of meat. We had protein. We never went to the store. Yeah. And and as we're planning to leave, we're not going to the store. And I'm going, is this what we want to do? And I think the, the, the determining factor was uh, Corey's grandfather was uh, like 97 years old. He was like World War II veteran, uh, guy I respected more than anything. He would, he would always, he was super interested in the farm. Every time we would talk to him, he wanted to know what we were doing, why, how, uh, but grew up through the Depression, all that stuff. And we, before we were taken off, I went over and I was talking to him and he was asking about what we were doing and why. And I was explaining it to him and he said, do it. He mm. says, you won't regret doing it. You will only regret not doing it. And he's like, if it falls apart, you'll start again. You've done it before. Because I've told him kind of my whole life story. And I've always like taken lateral moves or kind of like you would take a big step back to learn something new and progress. Um, and he said, do it. And he said, just do it. And he's like, you'll enjoy the shit out of it. He's like, I kind of wish I did something like that. And that made it okay. It made it re- made me realize that we'll figure it out. Like my wife and I are so re- resourceful that if something goes sideways, that's why I build community right now. Community is my safety net, um, knowing that I have hard skills and I know people that can use those hard skills. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about this dog thing and three St. Bernard. So I've got... Three dogs, they're large dogs, but they're nothing compared to St. Bernard's. I, I would say my my Shepherd Max was probably about that size. So it'd be like three Maxes in an RV. Um, <laughs> h- how does this work, an RV with three gigantic dogs? And by the way, don't really like heat. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we got them. We had them on the farm. That sure. was that was the thing. Like, they lived six to ten years, and we weren't going to wait that long. So we kind of figured out how to do it with them. Uh, right now, we, they're probably like 180 pounds, 160 pounds, and then we have a mix. It's actually a Saint Bernard Great Dane mix. That's a small one at uh, 100. He's like 145 pounds. But we just figured out how to make it work. Uh, we thought we'd need a ton of room. That's kind of why we went with the huge trailer. But turns out they just want to lay on top of you. They want to lay under your feet. They want to be like right now. It is warm in here actually now. We have the air on and it's it's pushing 100 in, in Missouri where we're at. But uh, if it wasn't 80, pushing 80 in the room, they would all be within touching distance of each other and us. So it works. We run ramps. I, uh, we run ramps to get them in and out like extendable pet ramps. I, I could, I could like sell you one and tell you the virtues of all of them, um, with dogs that big. Uh, yeah. I actually ripped the back seat out of my pickup truck and installed a platform. Uh, so three dogs that size wouldn't fit on the back seat of a, of a full size yeah. pickup truck. We have yeah. four door. Uh, I realized that the footwell and the back seat, the thickness of the backseat and the area behind the backseat made so much more room. Yeah. And so I popped the backseat out of the truck and I built a platform with storage underneath that we slide the ramp under. And the three of them fit very, very comfortably back there, actually. And it doubles as like a bed if we need to use it. So that's actually really cool. I did something similar, except I didn't remove the seat um, with one of my trucks for the dogs where you can lift the seat up and you have storage under the seat. I yep. built a plywood platform that I covered with uh, outdoor rated carpeting, kind of like you would make a deck boat with and yep. finagled it to where you could lift the seat, install the, the platform, put the dogs in there. And then when we were done using it, it could go get put away. And the dog ramp, especially as they get older, I have one, it folds open and like, it's got like, um, like the stuff you put on on metal steps so somebody doesn't bust their, bust their ass, that's what the kind of traction is on it. Yeah. And it's what made it possible as dogs get older to get them up into it because there's a long way up for a dog with arthritis issues or something like that. And so I can the jumping down dog even for the puppies, the jumping down yeah. for the puppies, especially the large breed like that, that'll oh. mess their back up real quick because all that yeah. weight coming down on the young on the young bones and joints. So we from from peppy from puppy. Especially with an F two fifty, it's up in the air quite a bit, yeah. and then yeah. Um, yeah, that platform is up even further. So they uh, they can lay front to back um, behind my wife. I don't think they necessarily come behind me because I have to have the seat back farther because I'm six five. Like uh, you know, we do camper living. I'm six foot five. I got three Saint Bernards. Uh, you know, just tiny people living in a tiny camper. All right, I got this on your app to be on the show. I don't even know if I'm gonna pronounce this word right. What is a <laughs> tapophile or tapophile? Tapophile. We'll on a list. I don't even know <laughs> what it is, so I don't know what kind of list you'd get on. Oh man, uh, tapophile is something that I realized it was after we took off. Uh, it was a long-seated kind of uh, thing from my childhood. I didn't really know uh, it was there, but. It is actually people that are into gravestones, uh, cemeteries, uh, monuments, stuff like that. Um, on our first trip, on our first stop down in Tennessee, my wife was looking for a place to barefoot walk. 
she really liked the vibe over a cemetery across the road and we couldn't um, walk really a lot at our site. And so she was going over there, go for a walk. I went with her and remembered about when I was a kid, there was a cemetery behind my house that we used to play football in and all that stuff. And I used to hang out there before and after. And I was that weird kid that stuck around and like just kind of wondered about the people and where they had been and what they were. And so when I realized that that was, um, that I had enjoyed it that much, I started doing it on purpose, going and visiting as we're traveling around, finding old cemeteries. And then I started documenting them and making short videos of the different headstones. And it kind of, it kind of took off a little bit. Um, just a byproduct of something I was doing anyway. And so I've kind of built a little bit of a following behind that, just exploring different cemeteries. And now that we're spending more time in a certain area, gotten into, um, gotten into cleaning headstones, uh, want to start kind of picking up some of these forgotten ones that are out in the middle of the woods and no one goes there because there's no living relatives of any of these people on the face of the earth. And uh, so, you know, kind of getting into taking care of that kind of stuff. That's see, thank you for proving what I've said for almost 15 years now that in this day and age with content creation and the internet, there's not a niche that cannot be exploited. So if looking I, at I couldn't of the people that were there already when I started yeah. posting it, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I remember saying something like just to be ridiculous, like you can build a website about funnels and you can make a living with a website about funnels or Smurfs or whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. And, and I got a lot of pushback from it, but I think that we live in a world of the long tail, yeah. right? So if you try to like sell cell phones, right? Like you've got, you're competing with AT&T, right? right? Like, and you say so you have to find a, a long tail within that. Like we had the privacy cell phone guy yesterday or, you know, cell phones for an area or something. And, and the way that works is when you look at search volume for people looking for stuff, you've got a few terms that are this huge spike and then it, tails out all these little niches. But if you turn it this way, there's more in the tail than in the 10% that looks like it's, it's everything. Right. And that was never exploitable before about the late nineties, early two thousands when search technology and communications platforms built up to where you could exploit it. I mean, I know one dude, he was a very successful fishing guy in Florida. I mean, like this is the kind of guy that like, you know, millionaires take, to Florida, take their friends or their business guys to Florida, and they're like, I want to fish with this guy. And he started doing YouTube videos of all his exploits, and he quit guiding. Like, he takes, like, friends once in a while now, but he does real estate and YouTube videos. Right. And so, like, that just shows you that even the lucrative thing locally can be exploited so well online today that it can exceed what you can do locally. And... I mean, I wouldn't want to be a fishing guide. I love good fishing guides, and I love hiring them, but I wouldn't want to do their job. I mean, for every client like me, you get you get the person that shows up at 8 o'clock in the morning and goes, hope we do good today because we're going to have a fish Friday night at church or something. Right. And I need to feed 40 people. Like, yeah, I know yeah, a guy locally <laughs> that does sand bass guiding, and he said he gets one of those a month. You know, yeah. and he's like, usually it'll work out, but you can't expect that it's, you know, there's just like you can't just make if you want that you need to go to the store, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not the lake. Uh, but, we used to go snow goose hunting and uh, we would get in mixed groups because they'd take like eight and we came with six, so we'd always yeah. get like a pair, a guy bringing his son, and man, the conversations we would get in with them, they were like, 
oh, we were expecting to shoot all these birds. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. dude, it's hunting. It's not shooting. Uh, first no. of all, why don't you enjoy just being out here in a field watching everything fly over instead of just pitching yeah. and not shooting anything? Yeah, and the worst thing is when those people go on a guided trip, hunting, fishing, whatever, and the first time they go, it's what they expected. Like, it was just that, that day you get a couple of those a season, and then that becomes the bar by which they measure everything, you know. Yeah. And that's and you can be in like, really like a couple of years ago, I went fishing with a with a different guy in Florida while we were there, and we went out on this reef and we caught a bunch of snapper and trigger fish and stuff. But we were killing barracuda. I mean, three and a half, four and a half foot barracuda. I was pulling in three every thirty minutes, about one every ten minutes. I was on top of all these reef fish, and I took Doc Bones there. The next day, he came into town because they live down by Miami. Same guy, same place, same location. I think he got two barracuda. I got none because every time we hooked one up, I handed him the rod. My back hurt from the day before. And it was an okay trip, but it was nothing compared to one day earlier. So people have that. I know we're totally off the topic, but (laughs) maybe we're not because we're also talking about monetizing your life. And if you're going to be a fishing guide or a hunting guide or something, you're going to deal with people with these unrealistic expectations. The happiest people I know in that kind of that kind of a business down in that area of Florida, they don't fish. They take people out to the islands you need a boat to get to. They set up beach chairs. They give them snorkeling shit. They chase dolphins around. Like, the island's always there. The dolphins are always there. You know, like, it, it's – and they charge almost as much as a fishing guide does. Right. And like the whole time you're sitting on the island, they're like in their own chair, kicked back, reading a magazine or something. Like, you know, the best part about cemeteries, nobody bothers you. <laughs> and the 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 cool part is, I've actually made connections um, online and in person doing this. Um, one guy actually reached out uh, was when we were staying in Tennessee, and I had tagged the town we were in. He's like, hey. My uh, my family's buried close to there. Is there any way you could go over here? And I was able to document like a couple of his aunts and uncles. And oh, cool. Dad. And um, so that was cool. And then there was a story I told uh, about a lady. Uh, I went to one and I found this headstone of this little girl, uh, like little. She was like 14, 18, something like that. And I kind of knew there probably was a, a story behind it just by the vibe I got. And I never look into the, the backgrounds before I go. I kind of just pick what looks cool because I'm more in it for the aesthetic. But yeah. sometimes you go and you, like, get a feeling that there was something. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up running into the girl's mom while I was walking my dogs before we left that area. And she told me how the girl died and told me the story on the side of the road. And it was like it felt like there was this uh, divine intervention that, like, I was wondering what happened to this girl. And I noticed her there. And she stopped just to compliment me on the dogs. And uh-huh. I asked her, I said, hey, was that you over at that headstone over there? She's like, yeah. And I said, you mind telling me about it? And she told me the story of her daughter and how she died. And I was just like blown away that the synergy there and like how we actually connected on the side of the road. I was like, wow, OK, this this is why I'm doing this. Yeah. And it can mean a lot to people like you don't even you'll never know, like. I did the whole ancestry thing, trying to trace my family back and figure things out beyond what I knew. And I ended up on my, my, my maternal grandfather's side, finding a picture of a gravestone in like North central Pennsylvania. That was like my seventh great grandfather from like 
the early 1800s or something like that. And like he, he was the first person on that side of the family to come here. And he came here in like the late 70s, like right about the time of the revolution. He is when he came here. I still don't know what, like, did that have, was there a correlation or is it just when he came here? But being able to actually look at a picture of that gravestone was kind of cool and realized, like, this is one of my ancestors. And somebody gave a shit enough to take a picture of it and make it available. I did say no to them when they wanted my DNA, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 goes a step too far. Like my sister, my sister, I think did that, so I'm I'm kind of screwed, and and I've I've been picked up by the law. I think they probably have it. So well, I was gonna say I'm, I'm former soldier. I'm pretty. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> there's a whole like probably right next to the Ark of the Covenant, the room where they keep all the DNA of all the military service members that worked on by top men. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the uh, LOTS project itself before sure. we wrap up. Tell people what it is and kind of what you've got going on with it right now. Sure. Um, well, it's taken many, many different forms since uh, we kind of came up with the term. Uh, originally, it stood for living outside the systems uh, when we were going to take off to Idaho. Uh, that took a right turn when I met Brian Norton, and he misunderstood me and said, oh, I thought you were buying lots, like property <laughs> lots. And I'm like, well, we were standing on his 10 acres that he was turning yeah. into a hip camp and yeah. I was in a camper and it all kind of like melded together and kind of uh, spun out a little bit. And so it's it's kind of taken form. Uh, I really do enjoy helping people get camp set up and um, kind of uh, advising people that do have camp set up. I'm willing to run camps for people virtually, like doing the do the digital camp or do the uh, website side of it and the bookings, yeah. uh, walk them through ideas and how to do that. So doing consulting on that is kind of part of the LOTS project, doing a podcast and a YouTube channel, uh, documenting just our daily lives. Uh, I really wanted to kind of uh, dial in and have that niche. Everybody says you have to have a niche. And, mm -hmm. and man, I, I just talked about my life and it felt right. And if it's not a niche, it is what it is. Um, I just talk about that and, and make videos about everything I'm into and the stuff I'm doing. Uh, those are the people I want to talk to. Uh, I do a 30 minute free consult on my website that, uh, that I just want to talk to people and make connections. Uh, the valuable thing I'm finding out of all of this is the connections I'm making, the people I'm talking to while we're traveling, uh, the people I'm talking to doing interviews on my podcast. And the moments that I can hook two people that I've met together um, are way more valuable to me than the, the connections I'm making for myself. Um, when somebody's asking me about, uh, I do like beginner cryptocurrency help, like walking people through getting started in Bitcoin. When I'm talking to somebody about that and they're telling me about their small business and I can, I can get them in touch with somebody else, those are the moments that I'm doing this for. Uh, everything else is just to kind of pay the bills, but... That's that's in a nutshell, real fast, um, helping people set up a network of uh, of campsites. And um, as I meet campers, kind of putting those people in touch and maybe not inside the the restraints of hip camp. Maybe we start uh, interacting with each other and uh, doing things that way and, and cutting them out of the mix eventually. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate you uh, taking time to be with us. I think this was a cool topic. We've talked about RVs before. And the subject of living out of one has come up in other subjects. 
but I don't think we've ever dived into it this from this direction specifically before. So I think it was a good interview. Um, I've got and a great discussion. I've got all of your links uh, and your Noster and pub for people who want to connect with you on Noster in the show notes, which are on the audio side, which if you're watching the video right down there in the video notes, there should be a link. It'll take you over there. And if you click it right now this second, nothing's going to happen because we're not done yet. Uh, but about 30, 30 to 60 minutes after we finish the live version of this video, that audio side will go live and send this podcast out to Fountain and Apple and Stitcher. And I think Stitcher is going to bed forever now. I think they, they killed it. Uh, I don't remember if it's Spotify or somebody bought them and decided to get Pandora. Buy it, Pandora bought them and then got rid of it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I wonder if they at least have enough sense to just redirect everything to. No, they don't. Because they sent me an email telling me, you're screwed. And and tell your people to listen on Pandora now. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I won't. I'll tell them to listen on Fountain where they can do value for value. But anyway, I'll have links to where people can follow your podcast, get to your website, your YouTube channel. All of that in those audio notes. And, dude, thanks for being with us today. Appreciate it. All right, folks, with that, real quick, I just wanted to uh, remind you guys that the way we really pay our bills around here is something called the Member Support Brigade. And uh, if you've never even looked at the Member Support Brigade today, I just wanted to show you real quick, if you're on the video anyway, how to get there. You go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members right there. It'll take you to this page. It'll tell you all about it. Uh, it'll tell you all the, the benefits you get. And it'll give you a list of discounts that you get, uh, along with some other content that comes with it. It's 20 cents an episode and uh, give you multiple ways that you can pay. It's 50 bucks a year. And I'm telling you right now, if you use those discounts, there's no way you don't get your money back. Um I am uh, working right now with uh, Romero Romani, who I had on yesterday, uh, to take that discount or some version of it that he's got going this week for you guys on above phone and make that one permanent too. So we have a lot of ways that you can uh, support the show and come out at actually a gain uh, financially by doing so. And I did that from the very beginning because I wanted to make it something that like, even if you didn't like me, you still might buy the product. I think that's a good way to design a product. And uh, so if you love this show, you do like me and you do like the work that I do, even though I'm a jerk and you want to make sure we never go away. That's the number one way you can do it. And uh, I appreciate everybody that was here today. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. I will be back tomorrow. If you like the fire and brimstone shows, then I suggest highly you don't miss tomorrow's live feed. Um, we're going to be talking about the situation that we are in financially uh, as a nation and globally and some other things. Uh, tomorrow's episode, I won't tell you a lot about it, but for those of you that are on the video feed, uh, what I want to do is I'm going to just share with you real quick. And if you're not on the video feed, you don't get to see it, right? That's why you got to show up for the live streams. This is the artwork for tomorrow's show. So if you like fire and brimstone, I can't give you more fire than that right there. And if you don't know, what's he talking about? Why, why don't I get to know? Look up the video. Look up the video. And tomorrow's live stream, I have to uh, probably drive out to East Texas tomorrow 
uh, to meet with a community member for a reason that we will reveal probably Friday to y'all. Um, but uh, I'm going to be going early tomorrow. I'm probably going to run the live stream tomorrow either starting at 930 or 10 a.m. Uh, Central Standard Time. I'll get that all set up once I'm done. But uh, if you like the fire and brimstone, I will bring it to you tomorrow. And uh, with that, I'll catch you then with another episode. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.